Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names, locations, and a few other minor, and perhaps major details have been changed to protect the innocent. Hello? Hey, Matt Scalina calling from the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How about yourself? Pretty good, thanks. So, hey, I just uh, want to give you a shout here. We uh, talked the other day about those strata documents, uh, the nightmare strata documents that we came across <laughs> uh, not, not so long ago. And, yeah, I just wanted to give you a call and see if you could set up for the listeners how we uh, ended up where we did. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm a big fan of the podcast. And I was beginning my search for property, so I decided to get in touch. Um, you guys set me up with a research tool that showed me a bunch of really great properties. I quickly fell in love with one of the ones in the picture. It's at, you know, the building with the distinctive. There was that large on the corner that you can always see pictures of. This massive. So I called you, Matt, and you set up an appointment to view it. We got in early, which was awesome, because they planned for an offer before anyone else had seen the place. And I loved it. It was a unique space, really nicely done, exactly what I was looking for. Uh, so we went to work on preparing for an offer, uh, which obviously involved reviewing the documents. And that's and that delivered me to some glaring red flags. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks very much. Okay, well, good. Good luck. Okay, thanks again. Thanks. Bye. Okay, Matt. So today we're talking about strata documents. Exactly, yeah. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about was just this experience that you had recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what happened was, as um, uh, said when I gave her a call there, was uh, she called me up and she said, I, I've seen a place that looks amazing. Right. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, so we got in as quickly as we can. A lot of excitement. Is this um, a building that you knew? You know what? It's a building, a very small complex. So okay. I'd never been in uh, this building before, and and not a lot comes on the market. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know much about the building. Very uh, few owners, very few, yeah. not a lot of turnover. Exactly. Kind of sounds of exactly. So, so in that situation, um, you know, a lot of excitement. Let's go to work on this. Uh, we're going to secure this property for you as long as everything checks out. Now, the number... Uh, or the first step, I should say, right. in in making sure that everything checks out is reviewing the strata documents. Because like we say all the time, a strata building is like a government. And, you know, do you want to be in a, in a building that operates uh, similar to Canada or, you know, like a failed state somewhere? Um, right. You know. Uh, so unpack that a bit. How, how does it operate like a government? In my mind, there's a, a few different ways. One is that everyone gets votes at, uh, right. at the annual general meetings or at special general meetings if you're voting on things. Uh, but it's one unit, one vote. So it is 
much like a democracy, but I mean, there's a lot of similar ways. One, Sometimes it could be a dictatorship, though. Often in small in smaller buildings is where or there can be a coup. <laughs> there's all no, it's it's dramatic. I mean, uh, right. I think it was Dustin Woodhouse who said, "If you've never uh, if you've never served on a strata board, it's something you should do." once but maybe just once in your life <laughs> um but uh there's there's a lot of ways yeah there's there's the politics of it of course uh and the jockeying for position but there's also um you know the operating budget which i think is the core element of a strata and and similarly it's it's a core of a government and you know if if they're not taking in enough money if they're running a deficit it's hard to save it's hard to plan uh if you're running a, a perpetual deficit you run into uh, a whole host of problems i mean it, largely that you can't uh have a maintenance plan that actually is effective right 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 yeah i mean conversely if you uh, have a surplus of money um you know Maintenance is a lot easier. You can save for, uh, you know, have a contingency reserve fund or rainy day fund for the future. I mean, those are the types uh, of things you're looking for that um, are are useful for. So, so why don't we maybe talk about some of the issues that this specific building had? Yeah, so this specific building was an older building. It was around 30 years old, which is not necessarily a problem unto itself. But, you know, one thing we do tell people is between the eight years of 1982 and 1999 was the rain screen crisis. And we had, right. we had Rick Morrow on. So go back and listen to that episode for, for a more detailed account of, for sure. of those issues. But so building envelope issues are, that's the first sort of thing we look for. But this this building had a very low strata fee, which is the first thing that set off alarm bells. I mean, to the tune of 19 cents uh, a square foot. Wow. And um, yeah, we can we can talk a little bit more about what that should be, but they hadn't been doing proper maintenance. And what I think had happened here when we got into the meat of the, the strata documents is the building was divided from those those early owners that had been here forever, were, were a lot older now, uh, potentially on fixed incomes. There's an old guard. The old guard that didn't, didn't either didn't have the ability or didn't have the desire to pay for upkeep. And then there was a, a newer contingent that was very keen on, on, you know, not watching the building disintegrate around them. Uh, and, and this was to the point where they actually had to go to court. Wow. And uh, for envelope work, and um, and the court ordered the building to uh, perform envelope work, to, to, for, and the cost was at uh, over a million dollars. Sounds like a lot of awkward elevator rides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, don't hold open the door for old uh, Mrs. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah. So a lot of a lot of uh, infighting, a lot of uh, digging your heels. Uh, so not a pleasant place necessarily to be, um, and also a smaller building. So when you get dinged with, uh, when the court orders you to to do repairs over a million dollars, I mean, these units, that's close to $100,000 each. That's a lot of money. Um, so that was one of the things that was really, uh, you know, it, immediately it was like, okay, maybe this is a runaway, don't walk away. But, but it, it got worse because, you know, you just want to see, okay, what is their contingency reserve fund, which is that rainy day fund for projects just like this where you can draw on a on a, a large uh, savings um, for maintenance and it turned out it was virtually uh, non-existent yeah I mean it, around twenty thousand dollars so you know one of the things I said to 
was, this building has been operating for over 30 years. Do you want to walk into it today and pay for the maintenance for the last 30 years? I mean, you're going to literally be on the hook. And and the life cycle of a building is probably around 25 years or so. So if they've been neglecting it, chances are a lot of the major systems are going to need repair right now. That's exactly it. So the so the building envelope was the one at, you know, over a million dollars. They did have a depreciation report, which is always a positive thing. Um, the negative thing in this case was it looked like they needed another $2 million dollars. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so it was, oh. it was just a, it was a, like something I'd never seen. Um, another $2 million of upcoming work. And the, 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 this is compounded by the fact that you know that it's going to be fighting tooth and nail to get that money. Right. Uh, I don't think that money actually exists. They're probably going to have to get financing for it. It's just an absolute nightmare of a situation and and one that's compounded by the fact that the strata is the infighting is intense because I mean we're talking huge uh, money it's there's nothing to laugh about I mean this is this is the type of situation I think Rick Morrow talked about in that earlier episode that was a lot more prevalent in the late 90s where where people were having to declare bankruptcy and the fire sales because they couldn't afford to to do uh, the upkeep and and in this case it's not to say anyone at fault, but what it, it is clear here is that there has been no proper planning for the past thirty odd years. And when you see stuff like this, it's uh, yeah, like I said, let's uh, it's not walk, it's run in the opposite direction. So this is obviously a catastrophic event. Yeah. Um, we we see a lot of buildings that are having challenges throughout Vancouver still, maybe mm-hmm. not to this level. Mm-hmm. But why don't we pull back and talk about maybe the top six things to consider? when looking at a strata. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a, a, a great idea. So number one, strata fees. Okay. Um, now, what I, you know, everybody's concerned about uh, strata fees being too high. That's the common, ooh, hey, why is that strata fee? This seems, uh, I don't want right. to go over 350. I don't want to go over 400. And that's fair enough, right? Everybody has a certain budget every month that they can spend. And that's a strata fee on top of your mortgage often is, is you know, it's a challenge. And it's, you know, it's it's frustrating because it feels like you're throwing that money away. You know, in this case, it was 19 cents. Usually what we want to see is around, at least around 40 cents a square foot. Which is about the average in Vancouver proper. Yeah, exactly. So 40 cents a square foot, you, you see 42, 45, 47. Those, that, none of that is, uh, is worrisome at all. And in fact, a higher strata fee often suggests that they are building up a contingency reserve fund. They are doing proper daily, monthly, annual maintenance. Yeah, and I think this is, there's two things that, come to my mind here is one is don't shy away from a high strata fee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do your research and due diligence, but sometimes a high strata fee, it's expensive to maintain these buildings, right? Mm-hmm. And and consider things, especially if they have a concierge or, or other amenities that are costly as well um, in the strata. The other thing, if, uh, if there is a, a high strata fee, think about just generally what home home ownership costs, right? Right. If you were to have a house to replace a roof, in most cases, it's going to be somewhere between about eight and $20,000. Um, if you had to replace the windows, I mean, you're looking at major costs, right? Home ownership is expensive. Is expensive. That's so, right. So don't discount the fact that you have to work that into your budget when buying a property. Yeah. And, but just as a, as a final thought on that, home ownership is expensive, but when you go to sell, it's a big investment and you want to maintain it. I mean, look at these guys. 
in in this building. I mean, if you try and sell in there right now, you know, your investment, who knows how much you paid to get in, but it's 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 going to be very difficult to sell and it's it's worth a lot less than other buildings in the neighborhood, that's for sure. Everybody wants that car that was driven by the meticulous owner or uh, parked in the garage and My grandma, grandma, yeah. grandma took it to church on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so okay, yeah, so, number one, strata fees. Number two, we're looking at the contingency reserve fund. Now, how much is in the contingency reserve fund? Uh, you know, usually we like to say about a thousand dollars a unit is a, is a is a good gauge. in a large complex, right? Yeah. Uh, it, obviously, if it's a if it's a building with uh, eighteen units, if it's eighteen thousand dollars, that's not a ton of money. Um, but Absolutely yeah, in not. a larger complex, you know, if you're looking, you're a thousand dollars is a good gauge. But you want to have a, a significant amount in there. As important as how much is in there, or almost as important is how uh, the building is funding the contingency reserve fund. Right. So when I think about CRF in a smaller complex, um, I, I often pull back and try and think about the major systems that are going to have to be funded in the in the years coming up, right? And often, uh, and we'll get to this, but that's determined by a depreciation report right. or any engineering reports that might exist. But making sure that you have, because the money has to come from somewhere. So mm-hmm. if it's a smaller strata and you know that they're going to have to do the windows in the next five years and they're sitting with $20,000, Chances are people are going to have to go into their pockets, right? Um, another, Another element to that, which I think you're just getting to, but how to go about planning within the budget for saving an appropriate amount, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I was going to say is you want to see in the operating budget about 10% of that operating budget, give or take, uh, going into the CRF. Yeah. And, you know, just to draw back to the catastrophic situation that I that I was involved in um, at an undisclosed date, they had zero going into the CRF. Hmm. Now, part of that is potentially uh, because they had massive special levies that they all were dealing with, so they were not worried about the CRF. Right. But I mean, when you see the combination of a low strata fee and low or, la- or lack of funding of the CRF altogether, you know, that's a pretty scary situation to be in. Okay, so basically number two then, if I understand it correctly, is make sure that you have an operating budget that is appropriately funding all aspects of the building, and also providing a certain percentage and likely closer to around 10% into a savings fund. That's exactly right, yeah. Okay, so what about number three? Number three, uh, the meeting minutes. Now, one thing that I'd like to point out that I've been telling clients is, you know, when you're looking at the minutes, uh, depending on the size of the complex, you know, it's either monthly meetings, uh, quarterly meetings, um, potentially not even that often. But what if you're not used to reading strata minutes, one of the things is you read them all uh, and you read uh, each line kind of like uh, they're all created equal and they're not. You don't want to miss the forest for the trees. So the, the key ones to read and the ones that you go to immediately are the AGMs and any SGMs if they exist. So the annual general meetings and the special general meetings. Uh, What's again, the difference? Well, annual general meetings are meetings that are held once a year and that's whether there's any issue or not. A special general meeting is if you have a meeting or have an issue that has to be acted on right away. So you call a special general meeting and there's a vote um, 
to decide the path forward. Okay. AGM and SGMs are most useful for seeing the type of issues facing a building, and you're gonna. It's it, you know they're usually about five six pages. It's it's a fairly quick read. I would still still suggest reading the regular meeting minutes where the council gets together and they deal with uh, sort of the day to day types of uh, issues facing a building. And the main reason why is to get a sense of how they're dealing with you know these issues and the culture of the building. Right, right. So culture of a building, you want to you want to be able to determine are they proactive? Are they are they more laid back? Are they very rule specific? Mm-hmm. Are they more lenient? Yeah. Does it seem like a building you want to live in? Right. Um, does it jive with uh, the way you live or the way that you want to? Uh, are you are they crotchety? Yeah. Are they crotchety? Uh, so there's a, an assortment of issues there. But but one thing I would just focus on especially is, you know, don't read the first six months of minutes and go, oh, I'm falling asleep. Uh, and you haven't even got to an AGM yet. And you're you're reading about kind of uh, the minutia that, that is not going to be a deal breaker. So you know, cut re- to the chase, get to the, the most important. Read them with purpose. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So now number four. Number four, uh, the depreciation report or and any engineering reports. So, okay. like so, I said, with this building, there was a depreciation report. Uh, obviously, it read like <laughs> it read like a horror story. Um, but uh, for our listeners, what exactly is a depreciation report, and then what do we mean by engineering reports? Yeah, so a depreciation report is uh, a report where independent engineers come into the complex and basically outline a maintenance plan spanning over the next 30 years. And just to be clear, it's 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 more of a forecasting tool, not not something set in stone. It's it's looking for kind of worst case scenarios and making sure that that you're planning budget-wise accordingly. Yeah, I mean it's 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 meant to be a planning tool for the strata. So they're not sugarcoating anything. They're not right. giving you the best case scenario, that's for sure. And it doesn't mean that these these items that they're identifying are going to fail at this particular time as well. That's right. right. That's so right. If if anything you're overprepared for mm-hmm. For what's coming, yeah, and, and you know, usually they use um, the economic life of the of different systems in the building, and that economic life is the you know, hey, usually that lasts twenty years or twenty five years. Right. Um, it doesn't necessarily take into. I mean, it, they they do examine it when they're doing the report. You know, it's not based on how much maintenance is moving forward, how much maintenance is going to be uh, done to that specific system in the building. Right. And by system, of course, we mean the roof, the pipes. Um, the exterior windows, that sort of thing. Yeah, the larger sort of right uh, down components. to uh, light bulbs, carpet in the hallways, and I mean, it's they're really quite extensive. If yeah. you haven't seen one before, yeah. And one thing I'd like to point out, and this is a really useful way of seeing the potential costs to you, is when you look in the minutes, you'll be able to find out your unit entitlement or your realtor will. Uh, now, your unit entitlement is based on how much of the building you own, uh, and it's based on the size of your unit. So you can go through it depreciation report and say, okay, over the next 10 years, they forecast X amount is going to be required, whatever, 500,000, you know, you pick the number and you can take your unit entitlement and figure out down to a T, okay, if we're not drawing on the CRF, how much is this going to cost me? So, So if it comes directly out of pocket over the next 10 years, I will be out 
X amount, and it's a really useful tool. You know, uh, is this is this building one that I want to uh, that I want to be involved with, or do I want to walk? So, for example, if I'm understanding correctly, so if unit entitlement is based on my unit size divided by the entire square footage of the building, and if I got a number say that was point zero zero two, and there was a million dollar assessment, I would be on the hook for about two thousand dollars. Yeah, that's a really great way of of framing it, Adam. Because if you look in the depreciation report and say, "Oh my God, there's we're on the hook for a million bucks. I'm never going to be able to afford it." When you break it down by unit entitlement, two thousand dollars is obviously uh, quite a bit less daunting than one million. Okay, so we've got the four here finished. Number five, Adam. So number five would be to look at the strata plan. Uh, so have a look at the strata plan and actually make sure that the square footage amount that the seller's agent is marketing is the correct amount. And the reason that we do that is twofold. On the one hand, sometimes agents use measuring companies to measure units and they'll they'll go with a larger square footage. So this can be misleading because you might think that you're buying 675 square feet as measured by an independent company, but on the strata plan, it's only registered as 630 square feet. So often when we meet with sellers, they say, well, when I bought it, it was 670 square feet. And now it's now you're telling me it's only 630. Well, we can take adopt the same practice and have it measured again, and maybe it will measure at 670, but who knows if that company that measured it at that is still in business, and it, it can cause a host of problems. But that number has to be verified. Number two is it can affect value. Yeah. And, and the reason it can affect value is because people often, when they're looking at comparables and trying to price a property, they use price per square foot. And if you're using price per square foot, a lot of the comparables that you have been looking at might have been sold using the measurement from the strata plan. So now we're using two different ways of looking at the square footage of a unit, which means that you can potentially end up overpaying on a price per square foot basis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, more so than anything else, I mean, all those points are, are, of course, uh, bang on. It's just one of those things, you know, verify, know exactly what you're buying. For sure. And number six, Matt? Yeah, number six, very simply, uh, bylaws and rules. This has to do largely with your goals, right? We've recently helped a client uh, purchase who had a horror story about moving to a building about eight years ago, and he didn't uh, verify the pet policy and he found out on move-in day that uh, he was going to start accumulating fines for the dog, uh, that his, his dog that he was not willing to give up, obviously. So, uh, you know, pet policy is a key one. Uh, rental policy, uh, obviously, there's a lot of investors out there. You want to make sure that the rules and bylaws governing the strata mesh with your goals. And I think that goes back uh, in, in part to our first point about a strata being run like a government. I mean, this is another red flag in my mind. If there's a set number of rules and uh, you're told, hey, don't worry, we're, we're really flexible. You know, yeah, there's a rental restriction, but uh, everybody just uh, disregards it. Don't worry about that. I mean, this is, this is the type of thing. What type of country do you want to live in? Um, you know, those are the questions to is ask yourself. fair, rigid? Yeah. Hey, and everybody has a preference, but the key thing about the strata documents is knowing there's a series of choices and you can make a choice at every juncture, but you want to have all the information. Right. Absolutely. So Matt, how can people reach you? They can reach me at 778-847-2854 or at matt at scalinarealestate.com. And I can be reached at adam at scalinarealestate.com or 778-866-4574. We also got that nonpartisan line. 
info at scalinarealestate.com. And just a reminder, if you haven't rated us on iTunes, if you find these podcasts useful, the biggest compliment you can give to us is to uh, give us a rating on iTunes. We'd hugely appreciate that. And then also go to our Facebook page. Um, Lots of exciting conversations going on. We're posting about different articles about uh, Vancouver real estate and obviously carrying on the discussion there. And we have a new website coming, which is really, I'm super excited about. So It's in the works, so stay tuned for that. Absolutely. So uh, thanks a lot, guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.